0: Dolly, I forbid you to die Do you hear me? Welcome everybody. Welcome back. We're back at it again. Summer's over. Yeah, literally. Winter is coming. <laughs> Summer's <laughs> over. But it's been a it's been a while. We were looking back as we were prepping for this episode. It's been since June that we've done book chapters. So we're really excited to Finally, it was really nice to crack open A Feast for Crows and, and really get back with my highlighter and go to town.
1: We're talking about Samwell 3 and Jamie 3 from A Feast for Crows, taken from our A Feast with Dragons reading order. And at the top of our conversation today, just before we started recording, Hannah started a pre-podcast, podcasting, a little sidebar to talk about the chapters before we got started. <laughs> She's like, wait a- It's
0: <laughs> my unfiltered thoughts. That's not fair. <laughs> 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 what I was saying as we were getting ready to start and these are interesting chapters for us to dive back into because i feel like there's not a lot of action in either of these chapters and i felt like especially the jamie chapter there was just not a lot that happened
1: for me the most magic in at least the same chapter was our consternation deliberation thoughts how do we move forward with maester aemon do we take him to the docks to be traded, what's left of the silver, the silver that Daron might bring back for food or be traded for firewood.
0: And it's interesting to see Sam in the place that he's in now. And I'm curious your thoughts, because I couldn't decide if I was annoyed at him throughout this chapter or if I understood the decisions that he was making or if he makes up for it by the end. But I feel like they're just kind of stuck and in this lost situation where Sam seems to make a lot of small little mistakes. I don't necessarily understand completely all the rationale behind his decisions. I think the f- the one thing that that sticks out to me and, and obviously sticks out to him is the fact that they ended up staying behind with Maester Eamon, even though... They know, yeah, he's not going to make it on the next leg of the journey. And so they're kind of wasting all this time in this really fancy room that they accidentally got, and they don't have firewood, and they don't have food, and things are getting really, really desperate. And I can understand why they don't want to leave somebody as important as Maester Eamon behind, but it just feels like they're kind of waiting around for him to die, basically. Right. Because he's not going to be able to... He's he's never really going to get his strength back. and I don't think Sam thinks that at this point either.
1: I feel like they're in a strange moment of flux because he w- wants to wait for the possibility of Mace Raymond to regain his strength before they travel on the ship. They already paid passage to that ship that left them days ago. Mm-hmm. We're left wondering, will Daron ever return to Sam and Gilly? It's not looking... Well, not especially after the him. last <laughs> chapter we have with Sam, it's not like it's been sunshine and rainbows for these guys. We had a, a mention of the weathered passage when they were passing by Skagos, and then eventually just how it was desperate, and then more desperate, and then even more desperate, and then they finally made it to Bravos, And then for... Someone like Damon, I feel like that's one of the big stories of this chapter. I don't know how much you were annoyed by this guy, but when the courtesans and the bravos take over at night in a place like Bravos after he's been living at the wall for this time and he's got his he's got his musical instruments and he's not under the thumb of Gior Mormont or Jon Snow any longer.
0: He's getting married for the night. <laughs> <laughs> you know? I don't blame him necessarily. Gilly is inconsolable and Sam is blundering and maester aemon is dying and i would also get the heck out of there i feel like if i was this guy so i can understand the feeling of betrayal that sam has but i don't blame him really that much at all for kind of living his best life in bravos
1: it's strange because we obviously root for the feelings that sam has in this chapter because we're seeing things through his point of view and we're hearing the constant wailing of gilia she misses her true son. And did you catch where Sam is still not quite sure if Maester Eamon's story about John was correct, whether or not he actually swapped the babies out?
0: hmm Kind of what I was thinking as he was thinking about the fact that he's blaming Jon Snow for kind of all of this. And he says he wonders when his heart had turned to stone. hmm And Maester Eamon talks about how, when he, as soon as he raised him up to be Lord Commander, he had to start making decisions. And it reminded me of that conversation that Maester Eamon and John had had before about kill the boy and become a man. And this is kind of one of those consequences. But it's almost as if Sam can't believe that somebody like John would hurt or make a decision like this that has sent Gilly into this understandable spiral.
1: Do you believe that Sam has issues to face in this chapter that he's personally growing from? Or do you think it's more focused on interacting with Arya, establishing... I don't know, the falling action of his teammate, whether or not they go forward with him and maybe pestering some more of the mystery of the dragons and Daenerys and Azor high from Maester Aemon.
0: Um I don't know if this is an answer to your question, but this is not an answer to your question at all. So never <laughs> mind.
1: <laughs> I mean, that's fine. It was kind of a weird question. No. I just felt like I, I tried to scope in where Sam was headed, and I think it's, if I could just boil it down to something simple and those of you listening at home may gather more from this, or we can ask a few of our friends, but I think he just was coming to terms with how the world is outside of the night's watch and things like their honor and their oaths are just, uh, you mm-hmm. know, especially in, a, in in air quotes, wild land like this, or even just a place so different with different priorities, you know, someone like his own brother would easily fall out of sync and he's left to pick up the pieces while Gilly's sad and, Well, he's trying to figure so many things out while remaining loyal to their original plan.
0: Right. And maybe I did have the answer to your question, but as I was kind of thinking, as I was reading through this chapter, I couldn't help but think about where Sam is at the end of season seven and how he kind of picks up and pieces out of the Citadel because he feels like he has a different job to do. And I just feel like this is Sam kind of on that path to finding the courage to make decisions for himself and to come to this understanding that as you're saying, not everything is black and white or as honorable as things are at the wall. And he gets to this point at the end of the chapter where he finds Daron married and he says for once he was too angry to be afraid. And so he fights him basically. So we're thinking about Sam in this chapter. I just feel like this is kind of the beginnings of these progressions of him finding strength and standing up for himself, even if it doesn't seem like it's the quote-unquote right thing to do or something he may have done at the wall. And I know that this this is a major arc that he kind of deals with. And so I couldn't help but think about that comparison as he's kind of slumming around here.
1: And Maester Amen teases him more of Old Town. This is a snippet in my notes, I called it the Paragraph of Feels, Old Town, Maester Raymond wheezed. Yes, I dreamt of Old Town, Sam. I was young again, and my brother Egg was with me. With that big night he served, shout out to Sir Duncan the Tall. We were drinking in the Old Inn. Wouldn't it be awesome if George wrote in there with a parenthetical, shout out to Sir Duncan the Tall?
0: Yes. He doesn't need to, though, because we say it.
1: After his little <laughs> asides from Jamie's chapter, I wouldn't. I wouldn't put it past him. We were drinking in the Old Inn where they make the fearsomely strong cider shout out. He tried to rise again, but the effort proved too much for him. After a moment, he settled back. The ships, he said again, will find our answer there. And about the dragons, I need to know.
0: We could just read his entire passage. <laughs> mm-hmm. I feel like cause there's so much so much as he's talking about dragons and Old Town and this life that he's had before. So Eamon is desperate to to get a little bit more of this word about dragons and, and to find some sort of truth. But Sam thinks that Daeron kind of made all of this hearsay up or kind of made all this, this chatter up. But Aemon knows that he's dreamt of them and how they are such a part of who he is and his history, the grief and glory of his house. And so he needs more information about what people are saying. He says, even the most fanciful song may hold a, cor- a kernel of truth. So find that truth for me. And it it is cool to hear him reminisce about a time that he wasn't alive for, but but that's just in his blood so much, you know?
1: And I think that there's just something about the time. I don't know if it's what led him to leave or if he's feeling it more because he's gone, but there's just something about this man and his age. He's 102 years old, and he's. I feel like he's wired into the conflict. And remember in the last chapter, we got chills reading about Daenerys and Azor high and he still just wants to know more. I, I don't know if he wants to find out if the rumors are true or if he wants to know the status of her... Adventure, whether or not she's actually headed toward Westeros, or whether or not he's curious about the size of the dragons—I mm-hmm. don't really know.
0: I don't know. He says something about half-remembered prophecies and talking about why he's lived this long, and kind of maybe figuring out what his what he could bring to the table. Almost, you know, like what he could remember or say that could maybe, as he's learning a little bit more about what's happening, could maybe help in a way. Or I don't like maybe he can kind of piece together things as as they as they play out somebody who has so much knowledge inside of him as he's slipping in and out of consciousness basically
1: it feels like he's wondering about the role that he's played so far mm-hmm. and the role that he has left to play as he sees sort of the chips falling and understanding that the great threat from the north is moving and his family have been cast aside but it would seem that their magic or you know, I, I don't know whatever it is that makes them special may be necessary for everyone Something. to survive. Yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah, no, I, yeah, it's it's unclear.
1: And so he wants to know what his role in that is as, w- as well. He's like, I'm an old blind man I stuck at the Night's Watch for most of my life apart from my family while things happen, but I'm still here today. Mm-hmm. And I wonder with the tools that I have with me, what my purpose is. And I think that he's basically decided that, you know, helping John go to his stead and then maybe sending Sam forward to, look for Daenerys or to at least think about long dead prophecies as stuff moves forward. It's so mysterious.
0: It is. And I want to read kind of the beginning of this this conversation. It says, Why would the gods take my eyes and my strength yet condemn me to linger on for so long, frozen and forgotten? What use could they have for an old-owned man like me? Aemon's fingers trembled, twigs sheathed in spotted skin. I remember Sam. I still remember. He was not making sense. Remember what? dragons Eamon whispered the grief and glory of my house they were and then they go on into this conversation that we were talking about but yeah I mean and, and Sam kind of thinks about how and realizes how he's afraid and you know he's he's nearing the end and kind of as you're saying how can he help John and how can he play into anything that's going on and will he have not lived in vain because that's not true at all but um will he be will he have contributed in any sort of meaningful way It's sad sad in a way, you know?
1: Yeah, no, definitely. I feel like it's such a dismal end as well. They're struggling for warmth. I thought it was fascinating, George's insight into this city he created in Bravos. how they're geographically centered for so much trade and for this kind of nightlife and for this kind of urban metropolitan environment, at least for their area of the world. And yet things like firewood and even dung from horses are so sought after because of the way that they don't mind their own trees nearby because it protects from the wind and that's so cool because the you know obviously the sea breeze coming in from the narrow sea would be totally annoying but they've got it all figured out but shipping barges bringing all the firewood and like i said things like dung for fire fuel are are scarce and all of this epic mystery like let's let's find out about the dragons let's Take this this Targaryen to the docks and let him hear about mm-hmm. this legend that he's so interested in. If, if this is his dying wish, let's at least give him that. M- maybe it won't lead to anything. But if we're waiting around and he's not getting better, let's try something. But
0: We got nothing better to do. Well,
1: Sam can't even do that because daron has gone. He's supposed to be bringing back their money, a.k.a. spending it, making new money, spending it. Gilly's sad. Everyone's sad. Sam's basically in charge, and he's like, well, "Hey, I'm I'm in charge. I don't know." <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's what I'm saying. It's like you can't help but be a little annoyed, you know? Mm-hmm. Or maybe that's just me, but I just felt like. Well, what are you annoyed about? I'm just annoyed that he doesn't in the beginning, because he does kind of end up honoring Amon's wish, and he heads out um, to find Daron and and listen to whatever's happening. But in just the beginning here, it's like, how could you have let it spin this much out of control?
1: And how did they spend so much of their money so quickly?
0: You know, though, maybe this is just my personality, but like, you know, when you show up somewhere and things are happening so fast and... Someone talks you into something better than what you had originally showed up for, mm-hmm. <laughs> and then he's you... like,
1: he failed to mention how hard it was to get firewood here. But we yeah. have a we have a fireplace in this room. But and you're to pay too extra afraid to it. say
0: anything, so you just kind of like let it happen. Yeah, I mean, I feel him in that sense, but still, it's just it's frustrating.
1: But I think that that's part of the story of this chapter. Then, just what a mess! What a mess with no one really in charge, with mm-hmm. Sam not really stepping up and. Making sure that his brother at least helps or falls in line.
0: But he finally gets the courage to.
1: Given directions by Arya herself.
0: Which is so, I mean, I'm sure you felt the same way, but that exchange just warmed my heart and soul.
1: It's like we just got just now on the podcast and in the reading before we recorded, we just got a reunion that we always hoped for. It wasn't Mm -hmm. wasn't a reunion, it was a meeting Mm -hmm. that we always hoped for. And Arya didn't quite know, but it felt like she kind of knew when she Mm -hmm. ruffled with Sam's spirit a little bit. She was like, wait a second. This guy's not so bad. Maybe if he was at Castle Black, maybe he'd be friends with Jon.
0: And he has no, I mean, how could he have any idea? He asks, (laughs) who are you? And she goes, no one. I used to be someone, but now I'm not. I just sat there and kind of smiled for a while. (laughs) Also, Sam
1: has met your brother Bran. I know. And John, Just
0: like, please have a conversation. (laughs) but they don't.
1: Aria shares with Sam some choice advice about bravos. If you wear a sword on your belt, you're inviting people to challenge you just in case. Mm -hmm. So heads up, I guess that makes sense, but I'm just thinking about their city and just people walking around with swords and weapons in their sword belt. People are drinking, people are buying clams and cockles and oysters. It's just, Bravos is a pretty interesting place.
0: It's a really cool place, and it's fun to be hanging in the streets. And I also thought it was interesting how Nobles wear black, so everyone's kind of making fun of him for dressing above a station. They
1: were like, "Who are you in this outfit?"
0: <laughs> He's like, I don't know. It's "Just what I wear." <laughs> but she, luckily, she knows exactly where Darren is. Of course. And so um, Sam's really lucky to have run into her. I wish. I kind of wish Arya had gone with him. You know. Yeah, there's no reason for her to, but I just like the thought of them kind of hanging together. I
1: feel like she definitely followed him. I don't think that she would just, uh, a brother of the Night's Watch there in Braavos after she gives him directions. Oh, just go down to the Happy Port and right. I won't follow you.
0: Bye. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true.
1: <laughs> but she gives him food for free and he slurps it down and he heads to the Happy Port. He doesn't have any money. She's really nice. She lets him know that the Happy Port is directly across from the Mummer's ship and offers to show him the way. And I think maybe this is where Sam makes the decision that breaks away from what could have been a nice little skip, at least another a longer conversation. He says, "I know the way," and he sprints and he just starts running, mm-hmm. just sword billowing, cloak flapping.
0: What a sight! <laughs> and then he heads straight into the <laughs> brothel. Well, yep. he's approached and he goes, "Stop! I'm not here for that." And that just made me laugh. <laughs> I like that. Don't part do a lot. that because <laughs> I can just see him in his stressed out, high strung state. He's probably a little bit more relaxed than when he he left.
1: Well, he's panting. He's been he's been just sprinting down wet cobblestone, trying not to slip the whole time.
0: And it's just this whole situation is very stressful. And he runs in. He's like, "I'm not here for that."
1: He's immediately greeted by this. Is what George re- writes: the one-eyed woman pressed her breasts against his chest.
0: <laughs> and uh, Darren is hyped up that he's here. He says his, his sworn brother. He's so excited. Well. I don't know if he's actually excited, but he yells at him. Sam, like he is.
1: You know when you know someone,
0: mm-hmm.
1: when someone comes in and you're having a great time, and you're in and you're around new friends, and
0: there's the guy. Mm-hmm. It's Sam. He made it here. He's probably shocked that he got there at all.
1: I don't know. He's pretty drunk. He's like Slayer. This is great. <laughs> I'm 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 here to be married. I'm I'm so glad that you're here to meet my lovely wife. She's wearing my cloak right now. I'm not sure if that's against the rules.
0: And Sam is seething.
1: Coin that could have bought us food.
0: His response is, We're only wed for this one night, which I thought was perfect. <laughs>
1: Haven't you ever gone to Molestown to dig for buried treasure?
0: He's just continuing to get more and more worked up as we're talking about somebody who is still kind of learning the ways of the world almost. You know, I mean, I think he was pretty sheltered even before he headed to the wall, but learning and understanding that oaths and all of these things that happened with the Night's Watch don't always hold up or translate when you're out in a place like bravos and to kind of see him red get red in the face and react as as darian basically throws it in his face is uh i don't blame him for for what he ends up doing at the end
1: yeah no he's questioning everything that he believes in while two people that he loves and cares for are suffering and like you said earlier you can't really blame Daron for separating like he did but Sam absolutely can and this is like the moment where I don't know we we got sort of versions of it in the TV show but he steps up and starts to pummel the hell out of him right in front of his new friends
0: well it's a betrayal he says mm-hmm. you promised you said the words you're supposed to be my brother nothing is is a bigger betrayal than than that and it's I feel like at this point it's not even just about Gilly and Maester Eamon it's just about him as a man of the night's watch as a whole hopefully mm-hmm. supposed to be behaving better let alone everything in the situation that they're in
1: what did you think about daron's point though when sam was talking about maester eamon dying and daron says the stripey healer you wasted all of our silver on said as much daron's mouth had turn hard have a girl or go away sam you're ruining my wedding basically they're saying we arrived here and under a certain pretense that I didn't agree with, and that he probably didn't counsel Daron on. He made a decision to spend their money to try to heal Maester Aemon when I guess they all kind of agreed that it was folly. And so it's possible that part of his sourness, on top of just his built-in personality, is that maybe he didn't have a say, or maybe he just thought it was a complete waste of time and that they've been there too long as well.
0: Yeah, I mean that's what I was kind of saying at the beginning of our conversation. I think that this also that this is a valid point and. I know it's Maester Eamon is somebody who is this incredibly important character, not just for us as readers, but in their lives. And it's going to be no easy task to make decisions about how they should handle him dying. And and if I was in Sam's shoes, of course, you're going to want to do everything you can to to keep him comfortable and, and keep him alive. But he makes... A decent point in the sense that he is dying and they're losing time and they're wasting their resources. And I mean, you can't have somebody like Darren say, You're wasting resources here because (laughs) look at him. (laughs) But Mm -hmm. but his argument and probably kind of what brought him here in the first place is not completely invalid. And so I could see how someone like Sam and the decisions he's made and whether or not it was a group conversation or not could be really frustrating because they're stagnant and not making any. Progress and Maester Aemon is going to die anyway, and they all seem to know that.
1: And they're letting go of their frustrations in different ways. Mm -hmm. Gilly's caring for a baby. Sam is brooding, and then eventually breaks off to do something. While Darren's been handling it like this, I guess, the whole time. And now Sam just lets it all go, and they get into a fight. And then Sam, of course, is—I mean, he—he stormed in there. The guy who's been spending all the money—he's marrying someone that works there at least for a night. And yeah, so they threw him out, they threw him out and they threw him right into the water and he sank like a stone, oh, feel, like a boulder. I was
0: almost confused for a second. I was like, how the heck did he get in the water so fast? That's
1: a that's a beautiful part of George's writing here, because in the, the paragraph and the the scuffle, the language becomes more confused and a bit more brutish. And uh, it, it ends with the fight seemed just slow as if there were two black. Fly struggling in amber, then someone dragged Sam off the singer's chest. He hit that person too, and something hard crashed into his head. The next he knew, he was outside, flying headfirst through the fog. For half a heartbeat, he saw the black water underneath him. Then the canal came up and smashed him in the face. So it was just kind of like boom, boom, boom. Well, you hit me, all right. Mm-hmm. Shuffle, shuffle, toss.
0: Sam getting thrown out of a bar because of a fight. Who would have yep. thought? <laughs> I know. So he basically starts drowning, mm-hmm. and he thinks he's drowning, and he thinks he's getting attacked
1: by an by eel. An eel.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Which all I could think about was um, the eel from Little Mermaid. <laughs> <laughs> Which it's
1: so sad though. Whatever. Maester Aemon <laughs> will die without him. Gilly will have no one. He can't swim.
0: And lucky for him, he's saved by a Southern Islander.
1: The Southern Islander beaten the hell out of Sam's stomach to make him spit up water. He still spit up all the water and he's and just then. getting slammed <laughs> by this guy still.
0: As soon as Stan- Sam starts yelling that he hasn't drowned and that he's okay, that he could stop beating him. Zondo leans over him and says, you owe Zondo many feathers. The water ruined Zondo's fine cloak. It
1: had, Sam saw. The feathered cloak clung to the back of the man's huge shoulders. <laughs> he says,
0: I'm sorry. <laughs> 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 Which I think is so great. But this is just the guy that Sam's going to want to run into because he he says to him, the very last sentence of the chapter is that Zondo knows these dragons.
1: Zondo mates on cinnamon wind. Many tongues he speaks. A little. Inside, Zondo laughs to see you punch the singer. And Zondo hears, a broad white smile spread across his face, Zondo knows about these dragons.
0: Could not be more perfect for Sam.
1: Yeah, so that worked out pretty well. I was kind of hoping Arya would be the one to save him in this chapter, but...
0: She knows nothing about dragons, though, so...
1: So technically speaking, exiting this chapter and heading chronologically into the following chapter with Jamie, we're not much in a different spot than before, although we know Daron is a lost cause and our new friend knows something about the dragons we have less money a wet cloak we're down a friend
0: yeah <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs>
1: so good times and bravos so, everyone
0: good times and bravos but i mean they the fact that well actually i don't know i was gonna say the fact that sam has run into somebody who who seems to know the answers or seems to know of these dragons, which is what Maester Aemon wants, I guess is some progress for, progress forward. They're not just sitting still.
1: No, I think so. And, and incremental steps in yeah. his personality, and realizing that he's going to have to do this on his own because he was without without John in the last chapter. But they were kind of stuck in a ship. But mm-hmm. now the world is getting wider, and you know you can't wear your sword on your sword belt in case of foes. So there's just little things and little hints along the way of I don't know crafting a stronger hero mm-hmm.
0: definitely i definitely think so but also like i said at the beginning not that much <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs>
1: i think this is some of the a feast for crows
0: hanging just hanging out the feast for crows hanging today's show is brought to you by hello fresh
1: HelloFresh is the meal delivery kit service that makes cooking more fun so you can focus on the whole experience, not just the final plate. Each week, HelloFresh creates new delicious recipes with step-by-step instructions designed to take around 30 minutes for everyone from novices to seasoned home cooks, short on time. Hannah and I have both been treated to our first HelloFresh delivery and we have been cooking.
0: Everything was laid out super simple. The instructions are really easy to follow, so even if you're comfortable in the kitchen or you're not comfortable in the kitchen, you have everything right there in front of you. And
1: apart from the photographs that I tried mm-hmm. to make my food look exactly like, <laughs> the pesto this this pesto sauce that that came in the packaging, I've been putting on everything. I had to keep it I had to keep a little extra for myself anyway. It was It was among the best I've ever had. I just wanted to point that out.
0: In six easy-to-master steps, HelloFresh gets you chopping, zesting, and cooking like a natural, because most of the recipes take just 30 minutes and require minimal equipment.
1: HelloFresh currently offers customers a classic box, a veggie box, and a family box. Customers can order three to five different meals per week, designed for two or four people, and new recipes are created every week. The recipes will make you feel unstoppable. And your taste buds will thank you.
0: And HelloFresh is now offering light fall meals and has just introduced breakfast options.
1: With all of this, you can have HelloFresh delivered to your door for less than $10 a meal. For $30 off your first week of deliveries, visit HelloFresh.com and enter code OWNS30. That's O-W-N-S 30 when you subscribe.
0: HelloFresh. Delicious ingredients you'll love to eat. Simple recipes you'll love to cook. Get cooking. I like it. <laughs> I've talked about this before and I like it on the rereads that I've done, but this is a slog. And especially this chapter with Jamie, when he's talking about so many people that we just there's just so many characters mentioned in this chapter and talked about that it's really difficult, I think, to care about all of them
1: mm-hmm. to
0: kind of think about any of them in any sort of importance. I mean, there's obviously some heavy players in this chapter. We start off with Cersei and and all the players at King's Landing who are in her little squad that Jamie can't stand. And we spend a lot the of time with... The council. Yeah. <laughs> we spend a lot of time with Ellen Payne, and, and we get conversations about people like John um, Dondarrion and the Hound. Shout out Thoros of Myr. Shout out Thoros of Myr and Brienne. But in terms of the real action in this chapter, it's just a lot of hanging around. And I feel like it's kind of cleaning cleaning up, wrapping up the time that we've spent wandering through the Riverlands and seeing consequences of war that we've seen through characters like Brienne before, but now we're we're seeing it with Jamie. And so it, it felt like tying up some loose-ish ends, if that makes sense.
1: Definitely. I know that we didn't have large plot movements, but seeing Jamie... Back at Harrenhal, seeing him around people or friends of people that did such horrible stuff to him and changed his life. I feel like that's half of this chapter is him just thinking more about his hand and how people think of him because of his hand and the new nicknames that people want to give him because of his hand. And here he is making his way back to Harrenhal and he's hearing about Kyburn, and he sees Vargo Hote's dead severed head Mm -hmm. and he's still curious about the whereabouts of the rest of the Brave Companions. I just thought it was kind of fascinating to hear every step along the way in this journey in this chapter how much these guys amory lorch and his stupid stupid friends managed to just terrorize
0: mm-hmm. and it's perfect to read this chapter now because in rewatch the throne our other podcast that we do where we rewatch game of thrones we just watched the episode where jamie's hand gets chopped off and there were some choices made so varga Holt didn't do it in the show but to kind of have the consequences of that here was was perfect timing. And I really, really, really loved this montage that was kind of happening throughout this entire chapter of Jamie and Ilan Payne oh, yeah. dueling and oh, yeah. figuring out how to do life with his left hand now. It was one of my favorite images that I've had of Jamie, um, just the two of them battling it out
1: this little cackle laugh when Jamie's like, "I oh, will keep practicing until my left is as good as my right mm-hmm. was. He's like, ah.
0: <laughs> it's so good. It's so good. He, he talks about how Ilan Payne is perfect because you no, know, he couldn't tell anybody if he wanted to. Yep. And, and he, he's so embarrassed about the fact that he has to do this and he's making excuses for all of the bruises that he's got. Um, but oh, that they're was training funny. whenever they get the chance. And I just get this, montage image in my head of the two of them at night battling it out and it's just so awesome
1: when he comes back from his first dance with ellen Payne, he tells little lou piper who's like oh you know he looks at him curiously because jamie's walking in all bruised up and he goes oh no these are these are love bites don't worry about that <laughs> jamie would rather be thought of as that guy than a person who is diligently trying to i don't know get better after something terrible happened to him. So he's, you know, I think that says a lot.
0: For sure. You think about even at the beginning of this chapter as he's leaving King's Landing and Sir Canis is basically telling him, wave your, you know, wave your hand at people, let them see, or let them, you know, let them see what happened to you. And he doesn't want to do it because he just doesn't want people to think he's weak, I guess, or see that he has any sort of Not fault.
1: Disadvantage?
0: Disadvantage, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Could
1: it be that he feels defined, has always felt defined by that, less so than the word Kingslayer, more so of his skill, and now that that's gone, it's like, what's left? Kingslayer, definitely. Now I can't even really take up for myself or or show a good part of me that may have been attached to a bad part of me. Like Maybe the one thing that he was... You you know how he focused so much when he went and visited Illan Payne's home. That
0: was so interesting.
1: He he lives in, in in squalor. And when Jamie enters his chambers, the only thing he notices that isn't running over like his chamber pots or smelling terribly or just, you know, looking like it had been lived in, lived in, lived in the entire time that he was given his new role there, atop of punishments and things in King's Landing, his sword is pristine. Mm-hmm. The, you know, the most perfect edge. Jamie respects that part of ill and pain and that kind of discipline, and I think that he misses the ability for him to allow that part of himself to shine amongst all the noise surrounding him. He can't even roll up to Hall without someone being like, Jamie
0: ah, Jamie Lannister! Well, and to have so much of who he is and, and who he's defined as is the fact that he's this amazing swordsman. So, I guess to have that taken away from him would be embarrassing. I do want to <laughs> I mentioned though this <laughs> I loved the time we spent with Ellen Payne in this chapter and, and he he says he made a splendid headsman he never botched an execution and seldom required as much as a second strike and then he goes on to say the man cares for naught but killing it's just such an interesting look into the way he lives
1: his time spent when he had a tongue ended quickly when he was heard speaking about tywin lannister when he was he was the hand of the king basically like oh yeah well tywin's you know basically the king because you know eris is mad and tywin's the one with all the gold and he really pulls the strings around here
0: Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) and then he's a wedding gift for tywin (laughs) Mm
1: -hmm. that explains the dead stare from episode two that we like to screenshot (laughs) so much
0: maybe yeah i was gonna say maybe i just love this time we spent with ellen Payne because we uh frequently send back and forth a screenshot of him
1: it's just funny seeing how much jamie respects him when they leave king's landing and we'll go back to the conversation between he and his sister but when they keep leave king's landing he notes how it's not to the same procession that his father or other brave men have met
0: mace tyrell yeah <laughs> <laughs> with his plumed helmet oh it's got
1: so many feathers on it more mm-hmm. feathers than zondo's cloak and jamie's getting met by there's a few uh folks from brothels hanging out and, and, and inviting them and and you know they have the numbers, they have their maester, they have wagons they have live animals. You know, they have the they have the whole deal. You could you read the chapter, George R. R. Martin does not hold back <laughs> in a feast for crows in describing exactly how many people are riding north to take care of Gregor Clegane's mess and Jamie's in charge. And he's almost lazily looking at all these details. It's it's a lot less stupendous than we're used to hearing about as far as the banners and the people that are with us. Mm-hmm. He speaks about his friends excitedly wearing their house colors again instead of the cloaks of the city watch. Basically, he's just bored because he sees that he's surrounded by people that are wearing their colors, but he knows, oh, that's not my friend. That guy used to be against us, but turned because of some planning. That guy is really not on our team, but he's here because of some planning but every time he talks about ill Payne, he mentions how he, you know, he looks like he came underdressed at a banquet. He's in his just rusty Becker chain Beggar at the ball. And his boiled leather, and even though boiled leather is better. As far as protection is concerned, you just tell when George writes it; it's just boiled leather. Mm-hmm. I love that juxtaposition there because all all the while, Ilan Payne is this pretty haggard person that is not set up well, and that we haven't been led to necessarily like this far in the story. Jamie's face to face with someone that has sort of, you know, been given a, a crappy fate, but chose to to pick something and to pick it well and to focus on it, and he, he just. While he laughs and is dismayed by this guy so much, he respects so many of these small things and you can't help but to see how Jamie would like to overcome a lot of those things within himself to to find that simplicity.
0: Mm-hmm. Well put. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. No, or not. <laughs> I will say, um, I loved the image of him eating handfuls of blueberries or blackberries. Oh, man. Sorry. Yeah. As they, as they write out. And then as all of this is swirling and, and happening around him.
1: Yeah. A, a squire rides up with the helm turned over everyone. And it's just full of fruits. And like, here, have these blackberries, Sir Jamie. He takes a fistful and he says, share them with the men. That's just an epic afternoon riding mm-hmm. their horses, you know?
0: Riding at the front of the host with Sir Alan Payne silent by his side, Jamie felt almost content the sun was warm on his back and the wind ruffled through his hair like a woman's fingers.
1: But not his sister's fingers as much as he'd like.
0: No, it's the beginning of the chapter, and I this happens a lot, but it's just always so interesting every time it does, to have the conversation that he and Cersei are having and the whole time he's just over and over and over. Lancel, Osmond Kettleblack, Moon Boy, in his head, just all these other men that are that are in Cersei's life and to to see her trying to basically Get him to leave, and him starting to to understand that, but having this just like it's a like cadence in the back of his head with Lancel, Osmond Kettleblack, Moon Boy, which I thought was an interesting backdrop for this conversation.
1: Basically, telling him the same thing that Melisandre was telling Stannis in that episode we just rewatched—that his fires are burning low. Mm-hmm. She was feeling his hair. And making fun of his beard. Like, I don't like your beard. Robert had a beard. You should shape it. He's like, Well, Robert's beard was black. Mine is gold. She's like, oh, Or silver. Pulls out a gray hair. you become a ghost of what you were, brother. So so bloodless. And the whole time he's thinking, you know, uh, like you said, the cadence of Lancel, Osmond Kettleblack, and Moonboy. But also it's juxtaposed with other italics, asides, where he's like, I prefer you dappled in sunlight with water beating on your naked skin.
0: It's crazy. Yeah. I feel like this (laughs) so perfectly captures their relationship in these first couple pages because it's just messed up.
1: I feel like it's ready to break in either direction Mm -hmm. at any point. And and that's why I think Jamie was not surprised at all when Cersei slapped him across the face. He didn't move to block her. She was like, well, what do you think about this? Bam!
0: Well, and it's interesting as you say he made no attempt to block the blow. She hits him. And then the first thing that he thinks of is he wanted to rip her gown off and turn her blows to kisses. Which is just, again...
1: Do you remember how we spoke fondly about the we we wish we had in the TV series from White Sword Tower. That chapter was before this, and here he is responding to her hostility and violence with uh, passion.
0: Yeah, it just says, I mean, whatever progress he's making or not making, and you said it could teeter in any direction with with where their relationship is going, there's just so much depth to this relationship that they've always had, Mm -hmm. that to have that completely erased from the narrative, I think regardless of choices he ends up making down the road, I think would be a lot to ask.
1: Do you think it's more so because he knows he's leaving and leaving her behind to just do things as she sees fit without him being around? Like he's more afraid that she's going to become more involved with these other men?
0: Absolutely. I think he's totally Mm -hmm. jealous. I think that even regardless of how he truly feels about her or whatever the situation is. I think that jealousy is going to be one of those emotions that kind of takes over everything. And she, Cersei talks about the people that she wants in command when he's gone. And, and they're arguing about Sir Osmond and Loris and, and all these types of things right before she hits him. And I think that the jealousy that he feels about these people who are in her inner circle is a lot for him to handle. He just doesn't think very highly of of these men in the first place. And then to have them so close to somebody like her is is a lot.
1: And now Kyburn, who's becoming closer to her, was one of the bloody members, sort of. Mm -hmm. So add extra insult to injury.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Constant reminder, different hands being tried on, different people saying different things about his hands. Hand, I mean, (laughs) that he wants to have turned into a hook, which, I mean... We've been talking, and I don't know if any of you listening at home are thinking about this as well, but when we're hanging out with our other friends that make Game of Thrones podcasts, we tend to just kind of talk about A Song of Ice and Fire a lot. And I just, the idea of Jamie in Season 8 or in, you know, Winds of Winter, A Dream of Spring, whichever, just the idea of Jamie Lannister at all with something like Valyrian Steel or Dragonglass Glass spear or spike or something in place of this lame unusable hand. Can you imagine how amazing that would be? Just a dragon glass spike on Jamie's right arm. Just like
0: <laughs> instead of a golden hand.
1: Yeah. I mean, what better way to fight the white walkers?
0: It's very true. There would be a lot of force behind those blows.
1: Oh gosh. It's probably much one...
0: easier than trying to retrain yourself how to fight with the other imagine hand. Imagine
1: how he could fight so well with it. You he know really what I mean? could. He really could. Well, so there's that.
0: It's like when Arya is learning to learning her water dancing and how this, her sword needs to become an extension of her arm, basically. And that would take that would take care of that problem.
1: Yeah, it could become an extension of his arm.
0: <laughs> Imagine Jamie leaving King's Landing and waving to everybody with just like a dragon glass spear.
1: <laughs> I, I just feel like that's I mean, he's wants to be like in Payne, right? Again, he wants to be dangerous. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It seems like he does. Of course he wanted, does. Well, then put that dragon glass on there, bud. <laughs> or repurpose some Valyrian steel. Get a Valyrian steel just spike. Put on your arm.
0: He's still got time. Season 8 hasn't happened yet. We still got Mm-mm. time.
1: I felt like when I was reading this chapter, he identified so much with either Cersei or Brienne. I know that's a hard transition, but I was thinking about how they'd be mixed together, whether or not they'd be mixed together. But he ends the chapter hitting Red Ronick Connington which is a nice little drop there in connection to our other chapters in A Dance with Dragons, right in the face and just dropped him in the same bear pit that he rescued Brienne and where rumors are swirling and all these things are hurting his feelings. And what I meant by him identifying with Brienne, we're kind of all over the place, but you just kind of feel like he has this loyalty to Cersei and it begins to eke off the longer they get away from King's Landing. And the more he's reminded of what they went through when they were there. And then now Brienne's on his mind. And now he's defending her honor.
0: Mm-hmm. No, I think that, that that's a good point, and this is an interesting chapter because of that. Because we get at the mm-hmm. beginning, he's still wrapped up in in everything with Cersei, and is he ever going to really be able to get away from that, or the relationship they have, or everything that's happening in King's Landing? And then to end this with him acting this way because they're speaking ill of of Brienne and somebody who he respects and cares for, and it shows just a lot of growth in his character, even in just this short amount of time. And maybe not even just like growth forever, but just this journey that he's on as he kind of teeters back and forth and he's getting into this new normal um, to kind of see that progress in this chapter, maybe more starkly than it, it does in other chapters. is is pretty interesting. Also, Jamie Brienne Forever I know. It's like we can't always say, well, he's doing these things because he's in love with her. <laughs> Honestly,
1: after this chapter, it's hard to say, though.
0: I know. I know. And, and I think I, I say this every time we talk about Jamie and Brienne, And I know that it, it really does come from him just having a genuine respect for her. But I think we can also say that I just put a little heart there. <laughs>
1: Wrote it into your book. Yeah. Jamie just needs to figure out what he's doing, you know?
0: Well, he's got a lot to figure out.
1: He's got so much he's, to figure and he out, he has a
0: lot to face. I mean, as as you were talking about a little bit earlier, he's here at Hall. He sees f- what's left of Vargo Hoat. He is thinking about everything that Cersei is doing. He's defending Brian's honor. He's trying really hard to become a, a better swordsman and to kind of re live up to his name. He's got a he's got a lot on his mind.
1: Jamie jokes within himself that he might be creating a new nickname, Golden Hand the Just, as they head toward Hall. They stop at Sir Roger Hogg's tower where Amory Lorch and his friends decided,
0: eh,
1: these guys, you know, are, oh, they have all the paperwork that says they're technically on our side. But let's murder what's left of their goats and corner them in a tower and set it on fire. <laughs> and it says they rode away.
0: Just one of their many pit <laughs> I just, stops. That part, you know what
1: I mean? That part is just, hmm. Yeah. They just they didn't even take the boots and stuff off the guys that they were going to burn to death. They just wanted to watch. Let's just hang a few outlaws to go on with our day. Yeah. So he hangs a few of the leftovers and uh, meets some interesting people. This chapter is full of interesting people. Hannah has written down and memorized all of their names.
0: Yeah. So have you, <laughs> and so has <is> everyone listening.
1: <laughs> I think the most important side character for me in this chapter, and I don't know if you agree, would be Shitmouth. Who greeted them when they okay. entered Heron Hall? He's like, they called me Shitmouth. <laughs> He's like, okay, cool. That's pretty cool. <laughs>
0: and it's not something I wrote down, but.
1: Jamie goes, Charming, do you command here? <laughs> uh, me, shit, no, my lord, bugger me with a bloody spear. Jamie noticed a shitmouth had enough crumbs in his beard to feed the garrison. Jamie had to laugh. The man took that for encouragement. Of course he would. Bugger me with a bloody spear, he said again, and started laughing too. <laughs> Jamie says, "You heard the man. Find a nice long spear and shove it up his arse. He says that to (laughs) Ilan Payne, and And Ilan Payne like immediately moves to do something. (laughs) Like, okay, (laughs) of course,
0: (laughs) that's only Ilan Payne would do. Mm -hmm. Harrenhal is a mess.
1: Oh yeah, oh yeah. Harrenhal is it's got the leftovers of all the stuff that Arya and her friends did before they left, plus worse. Mm -hmm. Weasel, Weasel stew happened, and I think that that really just. Struck a chord inside the confidence of Vargo Ho and the confidence of his men surrounding him. And then, of course, after Vargo got poisoned and after Brienne was freed, you know, bit by bit, piece by piece, he started to get weaker. And then bit by bit, piece by piece, his friends started cutting pieces off of him, mm-hmm. <laughs> cooking those pieces and feeding oh, it to man. him and each other. And
0: then everybody started eating him. Yeah, I, that's a lot. It's one of those things where I feel like you can miss it. If you're not paying attention. I don't know. Maybe you can't.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the, the way that they, the the language, you know, they're, they're speaking about it pretty laxadaisically. but Jamie's just kind of like, if you read this, guys, you cut back to his asides, he's just imagining him bug eyed this entire time. Like, okay, it's really gone to hell. Well, that's what I'm here. saying is
0: like, because they're talking about it in a lackadaisical way, I felt like I was reading through that paragraph and then I was like, wait a second they actually ate him
1: your dogs have both gone mad he found himself remembering the tales he had first heard as a child at Casterly Rock of mad lady lotson who had bathed in tubs of blood and presided over feasts of human flesh within these very walls man so do you believe in the curse like do you think that sir bonifer hasty the good the noble the just who has all these grand plans of filling heron hall with pious men do you think that he's the next to go
0: i mean Every single person who has ever held this castle <laughs> has not really done a super stellar job. It's
1: cursed. It's but like he, the, Defense against the dark arts post. It's exactly. Like, you could take it if you need to, but.
0: but. he's He seems pretty confident in himself. He's a holy man.
1: What did you think about hearing the tale of the Hound and Arya?
0: I thought it was, I loved it, obviously. I love Jamie's reaction that here as he's hearing what's happening, he's like, well, did you send anybody after them after <laughs> yeah. that happened? Did you do anything about it? And I was just kind of like, hmm, not really.
1: They're like, to be honest, we've just kind of been here.
0: Yeah, we've just been hanging out here. Jamie's like, okay, that doesn't make any sense at all. But, you know, let me know if you see the hound again.
1: I thought it was interesting. He thought it would be a job for sir, which was Amory Lorch or you and or or sir gregor you know a, a more important man to take care of the job for these guys and it's just there's so much imagery in these chapters obviously and within all of those asides with all of these characters that it's difficult to remember the names of and our nature wants to because part of what we do here is connect all these dots together and it helps us feel like the world's even wider but i feel like uh, that's not what this was about. You know what I mean? It was about learning about how Jamie feels about things as people are saying stuff to him and as he's discovering what really has happened as he's kind of been you know he's been going through a lot, but he always has a different perspective being a Lannister.
0: Yeah, and we we've seen a lot of these scenes before, but from a perspective from somebody like Brienne or aria or The Hound um who very obviously come from different backgrounds and so I, w- I wonder if, if this was as bad or worse or not as bad as he could have imagined as he was he was heading h- toward Harrenhal.
1: I also wondered if Hall was as bad as Moat mm, hmm You
0: know what I mean? Mm-hmm.
1: It kind of just reminded me of the same situation. And I, again, that was the case of, I suppose, better men or at least men that were put in charge kind of either disappearing, dying yeah, or just.
0: But he lights every fire, p- every fire pit, place. In olive hair and hog and gets everybody fed and it feels a little bit warm for uh, probably the first time in a long time
1: and we hear the story of john Connington, prince regar's friend who was eventually raised to the position of handship and eventually lowered to the position of nothing and sent to the east where we presume he drank himself to death Hmm. Mm.
0: He runs into Ronit, who's kind of hanging around outside, and and Jamie's asking him what he's doing he's in the bear pit. Yeah, ha- have you gotten lost? What are you doing? And he's like, mm, "I wanted to see where the bear danced with the maiden, not so fair." And he's, as you're saying, walking around the the bear pit, and they have this conversation, and Jamie learns that they were set to be married at one point, which I think takes him by surprise because Brienne had never said anything to him that I recall about about this this happening. And um Ronick kind of talks about what he thinks of Ja not of Jamie, what what he thinks of Brienne and kind of what it was like to be betrothed to her. And Jamie is not pleased or happy with quips that he takes at Brienne, uh, throughout his entire conversation with him talking about just how she is and, and he, he calls her Brienne the beauty in such a uh, sarcastic way.
1: Even there at the end, after being smacked, do you think? Yeah. I feel like Jamie was really proud of Brienne's behavior. You know, after the fact, like, yeah, turn turned down this guy. Mm-hmm. He's just a little bit fueled by the idea of other suitors, a little bit fueled by Brienne's hostility toward those suitors, and then a little bit fueled by Red Ronit's courage to talk shit about her in the bear pit that he jumped down into to save her, and he's like, "You forget it. Whack.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, so Jamie, Brienne shivers, swooned. And hollered.
0: drew hearts and all and was their right books. in the world. it's just it's just you know, cool to have this conversation as they're saying right here in this bear pit mm-hmm. and and to be back in this spot after after so much time,
1: and like the chapter before it, there we are
0: there we are, ending with another uh, smack to the face,
1: just a smack to the face, promise of dragons.
0: are you ready to to give your own?
1: i I don't want to give it to Daron getting beaten up, it's just too obvious. <laughs> if you could give an own for the Samuel chapter, Samuel three. First book on we've done in a long time.
0: So much pressure. <laughs> um, I'm going to give my own to something very obvious and not cool. Sam and Aria's conversation. And when Aria shows up and gives him the last of her clams. owned to Aria.
1: Got baked clams. I'm giving my own to Aria as well. Just so you know.
0: <laughs> Good thing I went first.
1: <laughs> yeah. Arya for, because Sam was completely hopeless and bravo's. In our first Aria chapter, we discovered how large it is, how sprawling it is. All the walkways, the different areas, different dockside villages. It's nighttime. It's even scarier. You, you can't think that it's totally lit by the lantern light. The nobles are walking around the streets in black. If you've got a sword in your belt, anyone can fight you. It's like we're playing Zelda out here. Who knows what's going to happen? We can't find Daron. All hope is almost lost. We have no money. And then there's Arya with food and exact directions to where he is.
0: I feel like you just gave my own, but much better. So <laughs> thank
1: you. I don't really know if that's how it works. Those are our owns for this episode. We Wait, didn't do we a didn't call. We of... our
0: owns to Jamie, though.
1: Oh, shit. And for the Jamie chapter,
0: Jamie chapter, two things that I have already talked about both of them. One, Sir Ellen Payne fighting montage that I love so much. Check. Two, Jamie eating blackberries. Check. Those are my two owns.
1: Blackberries are pretty good. I think I have to give my own to Cersei for when she was like, well, what do you think of this? <laughs> <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. So that's it. Own to Cersei, own to Jamie, own to Blackberries. Those are our first owns back into the chapters.
1: Those are... I felt pretty good about those. <laughs> <laughs> I know that we were both excited to prepare and to read the chapters for today's episode. And if you would like to join us in submitting OMS for our reading, you can join us in our read-through on the podcast by visiting afeaswithdragons.com to see the chapters that we have remaining. Slowly but surely, we're headed toward the winds of winter, I think.
0: Making our way through.
1: In case you were wondering, our next pair of chapters are called The Lost Lord and The Blown." So just leaving that there. So we're
0: getting right back at it. Yeah. (laughs) You're not wasting any time. Mm
1: -mm. I'm really excited.
0: (laughs) If you want to read along with us, if you want to send in your owns for the chapters that we've got coming up, you can do that in a couple of different ways. You can tweet at us on Twitter at Game of Owns or find us on Facebook by searching for Game of Owns. Or send us an email to contact at gameofones.com.
1: If you'd like to read some of our notes and check out extra content that we supply to patrons of the podcast, you can do so by heading over to patreon.com slash goop. And if you'd like to listen to the other podcasts we were talking about at the top of the show, Rewatch the Throne you can find us on Stitcher Premium. That's our series over there.
0: You can also find that at rewatchthethrone.com. That's right. So as we've been saying a hundred times this episode, we are excited <laughs> to be back in the books and we're kind of getting back into the groove with with reading the chapter. the rust
1: off our ring mail.
0: <laughs> That's what it feels like a little bit. A little bit. <laughs> it's just nice a little bit. Though. It feels nice. It's a lot of fun. So we didn't collect owns for this episode, so we're extra excited for you to start reading along with us and kind of get back into our chapter-by-chapter analysis as we make our way through, like you said, Zach, towards Winds of Winter, eventually at some point, hopefully after we're done with the reread.
1: There's always the sample chapters. You know, There
0: are always the sample chapters, but you can only reread those so many times. Those of you who are are with us for the first time since the season and you you haven't been part of our read-through yet, we're excited to have you and excited to, to hear your thoughts as we kind of dive through this together
1: that's it we'll see you on the next one
0: we'll see you soon what am i supposed to do make sure he gets back alive if he doesn't you don't move on